Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Jody Rye and this is season one of our show, We Are BC Fed Leaders, where career journeys of amazing public servants in British Columbia and other regions are shared in the hopes of inspiring dialogue, generating ideas, and enhancing learning. This podcast series, the first of its kind in the BC Federal Service, is the brainchild of Cynthia Bouchard, Dr. Judy Beck, and yours truly. The BC Fed Leaders campaign is in full swing, and the momentum for it to be the united voice of leaders in BC is gaining traction. The focus of the BC Fed Leaders campaign launch is cultivating and sustaining a culture of continuous learning, applying systems thinking to how we do things with the ultimate hope of creating a high-performing public service in BC. As you listen to today's story from Martin Sutherland, I hope you discover some nuggets of learning and should you wish to connect with me on Twitter at HeyHumantis or at BC Fed Leaders for some dialogue, please do. Happy learning and happy listening. Today we are speaking with Martin Sutherland, Director of Policy, Planning and External Relations within BC Western Economic Diversification Canada. Martin started with the Federal Public Service. It happened in a way that he that was interesting. He realized that he didn't want to be a nickel miner in Manitoba, and so he went back to school and attained an MBA and started working in policy. In addition to his working with policy, Martin is fascinated with management and the interaction with people. And that's the story that he'll be sharing with us today. Welcome, Martin. Thanks, Jody. It's, uh, it's nice to do this. Um, it's interesting. I was uh, started out as a mining engineer uh, because I love numbers, and I end up in policy, and uh, which has uh, basically no numbers at all. It's all uh, reading and writing. But um, when I did get into the EX ranks, um, I was intrigued by the staffing process mm. and how I could motivate my staff. Um, I am by nature a conflict avoider, and so um, the command and control style of boss and barking out orders and making demands wasn't really going to do it for me. So I had to find a, a style that worked. And, and I guess style might not be the right word. I'm not sure it's a style that I've got. I'm actually not sure if it's even any good uh, or if anybody likes it, but I look forward to coming to work every day. I'm pretty sure my staff does too. And we have fun and we produce. And hopefully this has contributed to uh, the recent results that WD had as being ranked as the best department. Uh, to work in the in the federal public service, so um, I like to think that uh, this style, as I call it, uh, has contributed. Um, so I, during, I guess my uh, my time as certainly as a manager, um, I think a lot of, of this style is is a result of things that I've picked up along the way, and and I call them Martyisms of management. Um, I'm not a management expert, uh, and as those who know me, uh, I'm far from perfect, but. Um, there's nothing particularly profound in, in these uh, things that I'm going to talk about, but um, I think it's common sense and, and based a little bit on my understanding of human nature. Very cool. 
Um, well, as you're talking, when we think about this, uh, the, the themes that we're, we're sort of focusing our podcast on, we're looking at the concepts around high-performing organizations, continuous learning and systems thinking. And so I'm curious to hear about your Marty-isms as they relate to those topics. And in particular, which ones for you resonate very strongly when it comes to working with people? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. And I think um, one of the things that sort of resonated with me uh, very early in my career, um, and it's so obvious and, and so many people I don't think fully understand it, but within an, an organization or a group of people, half of those people are above average and half are below average. Hmm. And you can never change that. You can raise or lower the average, and I think raising the average is what we strive to do as managers and as organizations to become that high-performing organization. But the fact of the matter is that half of the people are below average. Um, and you think about any group, you think about a hockey team, you've got people on the fourth line, uh, people on the first line, and, and you can't sort of measure them the same. Um, same with uh, doctors, half of a graduating class of doctors are below average within that class. And so understanding that then forces you to think about um, how you deal with the people in that group. And I think as a manager, you then start to realize that my job is to get everybody in my group to perform to the best of his or her ability. And so you deal with them as individuals. You don't worry about setting a standard and measuring them to that standard. You deal with them as individuals and you get them to perform uh, to the best of, of his or her abilities. And I, I think that's so important. Um, it, it humanizes, I think, the management process and you realize that your job is really more of a coach than it is um, a, a manager I think so um, that's probably been the the biggest key issue that I've uh, or biggest key point that has come to my attention in my career and I'm glad it happened and I'm glad it happened at an early an early stage hmm. and so when you talk about it, it coming to your attention can you describe a little bit more about that and and why your your thinking has gone to treating individuals you know, as entities unto themselves and supporting them in terms of where they're at, meeting them where they're at versus doing these comparisons. What, what, what happened in your career um, that's caused you to sort of think along those lines versus um, comparing? Yeah, it's, uh, first of all, we, uh, we hire um, some incredibly intelligent people. There are some amazingly smart, intelligent people in the public service. And I, I, I joke, I, th I think I'm joking when I, when I tell uh, some of the folks that, you know, if I, I'm glad I graduated when I did. And if I was to be graduating with some of, of the people that we're um, bringing into the public service now, I wouldn't have a, a hope of, of, uh, of being hired. Um, but it's, uh, we do hire um, uh, incredible people. And it, it's funny because you think of sort of the if you want to talk about the people in the lower half and, and call them, I suppose, underperformers, um, they're not underperformers in the way that I think government thinks about underperformers. Um, but let's remember, we actually don't hire underperformers. Every, there's never been a job poster that I've ever seen that talks about uh, somebody needing experience as an underperformer, <laughs> that being a competency that we're, uh, we're, we're looking for. So... Um, we hire people that are that are qualified in a particular position and, and subsequently they are deemed underperformers. So something happens um, uh, that where there we create them. Um, I think we have to look at uh, you know they end up probably in jobs that they're they're not properly trained for or they're not suited to. 
there's a personality conflict with uh, coworkers. They don't like their, their manager or other people. There's issues going on at home. There's a whole host of reasons why that underperformance happens. But I think the onus is on the manager and on the organization to deal with that. And, and you know, it's, it's one of the things um, we spend an inordinate amount of time uh, doing performance assessments and that sort of thing. If we spend half the time um, training managers on how to deal with, with people um, and how to uh, properly motivate them to get the best out of them and develop them properly and support them properly, I think we'd be far better off. And, and actually, while I'm on the, the uh, subject of performance assessments, um, uh, I am not a, I'm not a fan of uh, performance assessments per se, and not in the way that we do them uh, currently across the government. Um, I, first of all, I don't think it's, it's helpful to, um, uh, to tell half of your staff that they are below average. That doesn't make any sense at all. So um, we also have a, a rating scale. And rating, rating people I don't think is, is uh, useful. I don't think it's helpful. I think it's somewhat demeaning, in fact. Hmm. Um, I think uh, when you don't have a person's re- remuneration tied to their performance, then I think... I really don't think there's a, a point in uh, doing a rating on them. Um, I think, yes, you need to deal with performance issues, and I think that that should be done um, at the time when um, when the performance is either good or bad, and I think that the, the manager, the onus is on the manager to identify that time and, 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 and talk about it with the employee at that time. I think what you want to do um, for... Uh, sort of year-end exercises in terms of um, uh, in terms of sort of discussions with an employee is to talk about how we're going to make them better in the upcoming year. We can talk about the training plan for them. We can talk about their weaknesses and how we're going to address them. We can talk about their strengths and how we're going to capitalize on them. But I think that the vast majority of people would welcome a discussion on how they can improve um, and become better than they are and access opportunities. Uh, I just don't think that there's, uh, there's any point in, in, in giving a person a rating. And while I'm on sort of the ratings, the, the, the current rating system that we have where, uh, you know, succeeded is actually the third um, on, a, on a, uh, a scale of five, um, makes people think that that's 60%. We, as I mentioned earlier, we hire incredibly smart people that aren't used to getting 60%. So um, they, they immediately want to know uh, how they can get a, uh, a, a succeeded plus or a surpassed. And, and as a manager, I can't really answer that. Um, very often those types of ratings have to do with the files that you work on and, uh, and the circumstances that you, uh, the, you end up being put into. So um, it's, it's not, uh, it's, it's not a, something that I think is, is helpful to uh, the performance of an organization. Poor performance must be dealt with, absolutely, um, and uh, I think there's, uh, there's a way to, certainly to do that. But uh, currently, I think we've, uh, we've got a performance assessment um, system that causes more anxiety than, mm-hmm. and, and is, is less helpful than it is um, uh, helpful. Uh, I know that it causes anxiety for staff and for managers um, in, in doing these performance assessments. They're also very resource intensive. Um, and I think uh, it's, uh, it's just not something that's consistent with 
the federal government's uh, concern about mental health. I, mm. I think we, we, we do this to ourselves and, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's, it's, I think, a little hypocritical to say that we're concerned about the mental health of our employees when we actually um, uh, rate them. <laughs> uh, it's interesting when we think about, I think you've really described quite beautifully the, the angst that individuals feel when it comes to, I want to do a great job. I get that there's some level of you know um, performance that needs to be looked at to ensure that my job is quote unquote good. But what you've described is I think a lot of what organizations struggle with is that there's p- policy and tools available. And so there's these hard sort of documents and how do we actually combine that and keep it human and real? Um, so there's policy, there's a manager and there's an employee. And all of us, in, as you've described, it sounds like our current sort of performance management system isn't actually hitting what it's supposed to be hitting. And that, that is what it is to actually be human and feel good about your work. Um, and it sounds like what you're saying is from when it comes to measuring, that it takes away the meaningfulness of doing great work. Yeah, I think you're right. I think inherently people want to do a good job and feel valued at work. Um, I think that's a, a sort of a basic um, human uh, s- sort of feeling. Um, And I think managers need to recognize and value the work that all people in the organization do. Um, Everybody's got a job within that organization. Um, Everybody's job is important. If you think about sort of all jobs being, you know, different size cogs within the machine, it doesn't matter whether it's a big or a small cog. If you take it out, the machine stops working. Mm -hmm. And if you actually want to to know who is essential to an organization, certainly in in the federal public service context, um, think about this, like does the organization run efficiently when the senior manager is absent or when the administrative staff don't show (laughs) up? And, and, And I think it's important to understand that, you know, everybody's got an important job, they're just different jobs. Um, they come with different responsibilities and accountabilities. But as a manager, you need to, to value the work that everybody is doing. Um, and I, I think it sort of almost goes back to, um, you know, when you talk about sort of the, the human uh, element to this, um, it, it does boil down to treating people with respect, I think. It's, um, I know it's, it's a bit of a cliche. Uh, we talk about our, our people being our greatest asset in the government. Um, but if, if, that's, if that's true, then I think you need to, to respect that. And, and part of that is, is treating um, staff like adults. Mm-hmm. Um, in my uh, experience, if you treat people like an adult, they'll behave as an adult. And if you treat them like children, they will behave accordingly. And I think that, that goes to um, a lot of, of uh, um, I think, sort of standards that I've created here where um, I tell people I'm not a babysitter. I don't, I, don't, I don't watch the clock when they're coming in and coming out. Um, I, I expect them to work the amount of time that they're being paid for. Uh, they know what their job is. Um, but why would I want them if they were sitting on transit and the transit uh, was delayed or, or there was an issue with uh, picking up or dropping off their kids at daycare? Why would I want them stressing out over them uh, being a bit late to work or having to leave work a bit early? Um, I would rather that they knew that that was okay and then realize that, yeah, I'll make that time up. Um, that's, that's just an approach that I think makes, um, makes coming to work a lot better. Uh, it gets rid of uh, some anxiety. Again, going back to the, the emphasis that we've had on mental health, I think it's, uh, it, it's helpful in that respect. But 
Um, I think it, it does go to how, how, you, uh, how you deal with people. Um, it's also helpful, I think, to understand, um, you know, be flexible in how you deal with people. Uh, people are different. Um, they're motivated by different things, and it's important to understand uh, what those motivating factors are for that particular individual. It's also important, and I, I know in the past people have, have said, don't mix business and, and home or business and pleasure and, and that sort of thing. And, and I'm not advocating for that at all, I'm, but I am a, um, advocating to understand what's going on in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you know, it goes back to uh, the fact that people can bring personal problems to work and they can take work problems into their personal lives. Uh, that's really hard to to turn a switch on and off when you come to work or leave work and and switch into a different mode. So their their mental health is going at work is going to be impacted by things that are going on at home. So I think it's important to understand and have some context for why somebody might be uh, not performing to his or her uh, best ability to be able to uh, have a discussion about that and. Um, you know, find ways to help, whether it be through the employee assistance program or uh, leave or something, um, but allow them to deal with those issues so that they can, you know, not end up being an underperformer. But it is that sort of compassion. It is mm-hmm. that respect for the individual. Um, and uh, that's that's so important. Um, and the other thing that I think that where in the past we have been very quick to punish um mistakes or or ridicule mistakes or identify somebody who's made a mistake and and I honestly don't believe that anybody comes to work with the intention of making a mistake uh, but if if and if you if we don't mistakes actually should be a, an opportunity for people to learn and and find a different way of, of doing something and so um, if we make them afraid people afraid to sort of own up to mistakes um, that can be uh, very detrimental to an organization, and it's also a missed opportunity to, to learn. So I think, um, I think it's it's really important to um, uh, to to make staff and people comfortable in um, in discussing things, in in wanting to improve and make the organization. Uh, better. You know, what's interesting about that is that when you talked about uh, coaching conversations and when you're meeting with your with your employees and talking about, so, you know, where are the areas that we're looking at in terms of leveraging, what are you good at? It's interesting because I don't think conversations are happening in performance management, which is directly, okay, over the last six six months, what's something that happened that wasn't supposed to happen? And let's talk about the learning that came from that. And now what do we want to do? And so do you, do you think that there needs to be more real candid conversations about honoring when stuff isn't going well and getting the government out of this sort of risk aversion, covering up when things aren't going well and just owning it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, uh, owning up to mistakes um, should be really looked at as an opportunity to to learn and improve and uh, for the organization as well not just for the individual but for the organization and, and so I'd, i'd you know i think um the failure uh, failure now as well is is i think more difficult um we have i think and this is my opinion but i think we've raised a generation um who never got used to failure when they were younger that you know it was always this it's not whether you win or lose it's how you play the game type of mentality so everybody gets the participation ribbon we don't keep score uh, when kids are playing and and as it turns out um, how you play the game is important absolutely 
but it does matter whether you win or lose. <laughs> and life, that's, that's uh, you know, losing means you don't get the job uh, that, you, that you really wanted. And so I think being prepared, um, preparing yourself for interviews and that sort of thing and dealing with the disappointment of failure and how you can learn from that and improve, I think that's so important. And, and I, I fear that we're, um, we're actually not getting better at learning from mistakes. We're actually getting, uh, we, we're in danger of getting, getting worse, mm -hmm. um, that we're not sort of, uh, um, that we're not uh, taking advantage of, of those opportunities. I, you know, I mean, success in an organization, that should be your expectation that mm -hmm. we're going to, um, that we're going to uh, succeed. And so, and, and, and admit that there's more to be learned from failure. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time doing these end of year uh, reviews and where we look backwards on the sort of the year that was. And, and I remember seeing a, a deck that, uh, a presentation deck that I think was in excess of 80 pages that talked about a lot of, of issues. Um, and I, and I remember specifically, I'll just give one example, but it was, it had to do with the number of calls to uh, the help desk. And, hmm. um, I think there was something like 5,830 some odd calls, which, which is a very impressive number, I have to admit. In the course <laughs> of a year, that's a lot of calls to the help desk. But I, have no, I had no context for whether that was more or less than what we expected, whether uh, the, you know, there was new systems being implemented or, or, or what it was. But without that context, it was quite meaningless. And the fact that there was nothing that suggested that we would, we would do anything to either reduce that number or adjust that number, it was, it was odd. It, it, it had therefore very little management value in just sort of saying, mm. this is what we did last year. Mm. We should be looking at sort of reasons, maybe, maybe that was a, a very high number, and if it was, what are we gonna do to try and lower it? Do we need more resources? And I think that's where we, we need to get some critical uh, analysis into, into sort of the organization's performance and stop patting ourselves on the back for a job well done um, and just keep thinking about uh, how we can do things things better. Well, what I love about that is the really digging deep and looking at the content. You know, oftentimes managers will talk about the the angst around performance reviews, as you said, you know, the anxiety of getting it done. And even, you know, as an employee, the anxiety of getting into a room and seeing, okay, well, how was my performance measured? And we get so stuck on numbers and completion. Oftentimes, the stats are are you 100% complete on your performance reviews? And I've always wondered, well, does it really matter whether they were done or not if the quality of them and the meaning behind them wasn't discussed? Mm -hmm. Like the mistakes, the problems, the good stuff. And so it sounds like you're, you're wanting to go back to that and, that and the idea of measuring doesn't do that. Uh, measuring and rating and scoring doesn't actually get you to the heart of what you could be doing to help your staff. Would that be true to say? Yeah, I think I think uh, totally. I, I think we do need to focus on um, on on the people. Um, and it's interesting, uh, you know, being sort of in the policy area and uh, with an economic department. Uh, one of the sort of measurements that we use for uh, standard of of living in a country. Um, has always been sort of GDP and, and mm -hmm. growth and that, that sort of thing. And, and a lot of countries, uh, now developed countries, are looking at sort of happiness scales. Um, and it, 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 you know, that, that's, uh, that's a very important um, standard and, and, or measurement in terms of uh, standard of living is, is are people actually happy? And mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, it, looking at, at WD and seeing how we rate in, in terms of the public service employee survey, I think is a good indication. Um, when I get measured as a manager, uh, 
Um, very little of it is, is focused on are my staff being developed? Are they, are they productive? Are they um, being supported? Are they being encouraged to try new things and, and learn new skills? It's all of, did you get your performance, as you said, uh, get your performance assessments done? Did you manage your budgets? And it's all in terms of um, sort of, you know, I, I guess measurable, not numerically measurable things, but mm -hmm. um, really the, uh, you need sort of qualifiers, I think, in there, it's really important. And, and I just want to also say that, um, you know, as, a, as an organization, um, we are continually asked to do more with less. And mm -hmm. people complain, oh, we're always being asked to do more with less. And, and I hope that's always the case. We should be being asked to do more with less. That's mm -hmm. called productivity improvement. And any organization, I think, that's worth its salt is, is continually trying to get better with, uh, with fewer resources um, or do more with the same. And, and I think, um, you know, being asked to do more with less is, is fine as long as you're not being asked to do it the same way. And I think that's the, to me, that's sort of the underlying message is that if you're being asked to do more or less, you're, you're being basically told that you can innovate, you can do it in a different way. Mm. And that encourages, I think, new approaches to things. New And, and maybe we need to look at the performance assessment uh, you know, uh, in, in a different manner as well. And maybe we need to get more sort of qualifiers in there. But, yeah, I, that, that to me is such a wonderful lens and, and a, a 180 twist in terms of that, that reality. Uh, you know, even the, the Public Service Employment Survey, there's questions on there that l like legit say, do you, do you feel like you have enough resources to do your work? Are, you, are there too many priorities? And so it is really sort of getting to, to measure, but at the end of the day, maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe that's an opportunity, and to have that lens and to hear you say that, I think is encouraging because that's not necessarily what employees hear all the time. Mm. Um, and you talk about innovation and performance. I'm curious about so what's the actual gap when it comes to performance management? And 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 you mentioned uh, WD and um, sort of the the ranking of folks being happy working here. Why, why is that? What are you folks doing in the innovation space when it comes to measuring performance that you think is different and that's working? Well, we're, I don't think we're doing necessarily anything different in terms of performance measurement. We're right now, I think we're still um, doing what is required by the system. Um, but we're also putting an emphasis on the discussions, right? Okay. As, opposed to, as opposed to the ranking. And um, it is, it is being immediate with the feedback to people on things that they've done well and on things that they've done poorly. Um, and it's having frank conversations. I, you really want that trust. Like I say, if you have uh, that respect, if you treat people like adults, you can get a really good relationship going with all of your staff where they will tell you if they're looking for another job or they're kind of getting bored or they've got another opportunity. And, and as I like to sort of tell people, if you really want to make uh, disrupt my life, um, uh, you know, uh, my life will be disrupted if you decide to leave. And and I, I say I'm going to be disappointed, but I totally understand it. If somebody's moving to a better opportunity or gets a, a good offer, I'm going to encourage them and support them in 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 pursuing that, whether they've been working for me for six years or for for six weeks. Mm -hmm. um, you just they don't know what's going to come across their uh, their plate, uh, what opportunities are, are going to present themselves. So why make them feel guilty for leaving? But um, I think it's it's uh, it's important to be supportive. But um, 
I want to create a relationship with staff where they don't give me two weeks notice on this, mm-hmm. right? That's how you're going to really mess up my life is by giving <laughs> me two weeks notice. But um, if we can have this discussion and, and we can talk about at the beginning of the year what their aspirations are and what they want to, where they want to go and I can help them get there, um, my world becomes more predictable as well. And, and, and I think one of the things, um, you know, we talk about being branded as the employer of choice or when the federal government, and, and it's funny because I, um, you know, I don't believe you can brand yourself. Other people brand you. You can mm-hmm. market yourself, and that's, that's a totally different uh, kettle of fish. But, um, but if you market yourself as, a, as an employer of choice, and, and you're going to create expectations that are never going to be realized if you, if you can't fulfill them. So I think we need to sort of stop trying to market ourselves as the employer of choice and just um, behave as the employer of choice. If we do that, we'll be branded as such. Um, if, if I think as a manager, if we, do, if we start to understand that, that developing and supporting staff in their careers respecting them and the work that they do, um, if we start to understand that that isn't just the right thing to do, um, or sorry, we need to understand that's the right thing to do, but but we also need to very much keep in mind um, that, you know, I'm not I'm not doing uh, these things for altruistic reasons. I actually believe it's in the manager's best interest mm-hmm. to behave that way. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you, uh, if you behave that way, if you get people who enjoy the, that environment, um, where they're supported and encouraged and they, they, they're being fulfilled in their career, you will get uh, be branded as a, as a manager, a good manager, and um, uh, you'll be attracting an increasing number of better qualified individuals who are going to raise that average, as we talked about in terms mm-hmm. of uh, half people being above and below, but you'll raise that average. Uh, increase the performance of your team and you will look like a good manager. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, is all, uh, it is all about me after all. <laughs> As it should be. It should all be all about us. That's right. um, you talked about um, so many elements around employee engagement um, and high-performing organizations and this idea around trust. And when you look at the definition of employee engagement, mental health and the 13 factors that exist in terms of having a healthy environment, trust and human connection are key to that. And, and I love what you said around the branding. And I do believe that to be called a leader is actually a gift. I think that we, we give that gift to an individual to say that this is someone that I wanted to work with. They led in a, in a way, and you mentioned style, in a style that made me want to come to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's really this, uh, this real kind of human connection. And, and when we look at management and employees, how we're connecting and the real conversations that are taking place, I think is where there's the opportunity to, to get out of policy and to get out of tools like our performance management system and measuring, and just br- bring it down to basics. Have a conversation. How was your day? Oh, it's not not going great. I think that's the opportunity that that exists, and it sounds like that's how you've been living and breathing. Well, I like to think so. I mean, I'm I'm by far not the smartest person in in most rooms. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty by, smart to me. <laughs> unless I'm by myself, but it's uh, but it's. Um, like I don't have all the answers, but I, I do think that the way that, um, like I say, I've been a, I'm a conflict avoider, so I'm, I'm not really sure I, I have much of an alternative. Um, but I do think that bringing it down to a human level is is so important. Um, and I like to think that uh, coming to work can be um, fun, 
an, an enjoyable, rewarding experience for people that they look forward to every day. Um, if you, for, for folks that, that wake up in the morning and dread going to work, and I know there are, there are um, many people that that's the case, that's horrific. I can't think of anything worse than doing that on mm. a day-to-day basis um, and not going wanting to go to work. Um, and, and the impact that, that must have on your mental health and on your family and your personal life, um, I just couldn't imagine. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, part of it is um, I need to be in a, an environment where I enjoy things and don't have conflict. Um, and I think there are ways through some of these techniques, and there's nothing here that I think anybody could say is earth shattering. Um, they're all pretty simple techniques. I think it's human nature, but um, we seem to have created over time um, a workplace that is uh, is high performing, um, in certainly in terms of I, th- I think job satisfaction, in terms of uh, a lot of the elements on the public service employee survey. Um, it wasn't always the case. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, if we go back, uh, I think, 10 or 11 years, um, that was not the case for WD at sure. all. And um, it's just interesting that uh, maybe it's a coincidence that, uh, um, you know, we've adopted this, this the same approach here. And I, I can also say that the other, uh, the management team um, here in the BC region at uh, WD have, uh, have all sort of um, got this philosophy and they all treat people with uh, with respect um, and I think they're a large part of, uh, of the results that uh, that have have been developed here yeah. um, and it's also been uh, a result of staff like a lot of the uh, seemingly unimportant things that we do um, we very often get staff involved in them and, and uh, um, yeah it's 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 important well, even that, getting getting staff involved or encouraging and opening the door for folks to give feedback, that as well is another example of how you build an engaged workforce and how you leverage what people are interested in by opening the door and saying, you know what, this is kind of, we're thinking about getting a new water cooler. What do you think? Yeah. You know, and it may, it may seem small, but they, at the end of the day, when we look at teams and we look at what, what works and what makes us feel good, Having our input and being asked a question makes us feel good. Yeah. Um, and the idea around what WD has done when it comes to the survey and adopting certain certain things, you know, I agree with you that it doesn't seem like it's rocket science, but I do think that it's hard for people. And you talked quite beautifully about knowing knowing yourself, and so conflict doesn't fit for you. And so I think that that self awareness piece is where a lot more could be done for all of us as public servants in terms of what is it that I really want? You know, what am I good at? What am I not good? at what do I not want to be around and then building from that and when you're in a management position that can be hard to do for yourself but let alone you've got maybe 20 or 30 employees that are maybe in the same space and I think what you've described when it comes to WD and the culture that's been created is it does take little containers and and little bits of granular behavior Mm -hmm. it's not a kind of a one-shot answer it is each conversation each interaction and then, yeah, there's certain tools that we can use to sort of build from that. But it does take small things to create something big. Yes, yeah, totally. It's, uh, it's it was a gradual process mm. uh, moving to uh, to where we are now. But um, yeah, I think it is important. I think uh, I think there's we don't spend enough time training managers. Mm. Um, I think that's changing. I think the the Canada School is uh, it's got some uh, good courses, but a lot of it does come down to the human interaction, mm. and uh, and I think. Um, in that respect, maybe something that we want to look at in the future is is doing sort of um, 
uh, you know, those of us that are conflict avoiders and, and have some of these, uh, practice some of these things can, um, can be a resource for managers that are having uh, difficult situations. So yeah, that would be a great new, idea. New ways, uh, new ways to look at this. Um, in, in closing, I'm curious about that. You, you gave one suggestion in terms of different ways of looking at things and your Mortyisms really could be a tool for folks um, in terms of things that they want to try or, or look at. What else would you want to say in terms of high-performing organizations and connecting and making people feel more human again? What are some last thoughts that you have? Um, well, I think... Uh, um, I think it's it's important to get to know people on a personal level and um, you can't you can't maintain arm's length approach when you're dealing with with people and treat them as, as uh, sort of robot robots in a in a, in a systematic uh, objective way it's um, it's human interactions are subjective by nature and, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think it's important to get to know what's uh, what goes on in a person's life outside of work, and uh, and that provides context for uh, for for them. I think um, you know. I think the what is it? The, the, is it called the the platinum rule now? Um, the golden rule was uh, treat people as, as as they would as you would want them to treat you, and the platinum rule is, is treat people um, how they want to be treated. Oh, I like that. And, and it's it's. Um, it's something that's come up relatively recently, but it's it's also something that, um, for for decades, uh, I've realized that um, you need to treat people on an individual level, and what works for one is not going to work for the other. Mm-hmm. And and in a work setting, that, that couldn't be more the case. And I think it's it's important for a manager to to understand that um, not everybody needs the same amount of supervision. Not everybody's motivated by rewards or money and and, and or and, and recognition. Um, and, and so that's that's important in understanding how to deal with that individual. But uh, knowing, um, having context for how you deal with, with people, I think, is, is very, very important. Mm-hmm. And you can only do that by getting to know them. Wonderful. Platinum rule. I haven't heard of that. And I, and I think it's so poignant in terms of meeting folks where they're at, honoring who they are, and then seeing what you're going to do to create a high-performing organization. Wonderful. Well, Martin, um, I wanted to thank you so much. It was an honor and honestly a a breath of fresh air to speak with you today. Uh, Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Judy. Enjoyed it.